Hello, hello, and welcome to Lioness Podcast with me, your host, Jane Lyon. Here we are. Still going, baby. You know, if I thought two weeks ago I was in an internal moment, I mean, I feel like I'm there again, to be honest, you guys. And all morning I have been like, there is no way that you have anything to share today. Once again, I'm like, how am I back in this space so quickly? So it's been, it's been an interesting day, actually. I slept until 9.45 this morning. I can't believe that, honestly. I am babysitting a 14-year-old, and so I had to stay up till 11 to make sure she was home before curfew. But it's not like I was even up that late. And all week I was kind of, I kind of felt like I was on the verge of exhaustion all week, which is something I am going to work on. This is like a level in which my work really needs to extend, and that is being conscious of my moon cycle and how much I put on my plate when the cycle is beginning. Because this week, I really, like, my body was just begging me to cancel all of my plans and just rest. And I wanted to show up. I had to show up, you know? I didn't plan very well. And there was a time when I did track my cycle really well and I would even like request that day off from work and you know the first day of the cycle and I was just so much more conscious and and then things got better with my cycle and so I stopped paying as much attention to it and I know that there's a lot of women who are you know this is something they think about all the time so Looking forward to my next guest, um, assuming that, you know, timing lies out the way that I am planning on it. My dear friend and student, Christina Winkler, is going to be my next guest. If you're listening, hey, babe. Um, I feel as I have, I feel, you know, that I have supported Christina through so much of her journey as her teacher. And Christina is so tuned into the, the menstrual cycle, to the womb, to the seasons, to the earth, that I am, you know, now asking her for support and guidance. And um, I asked her to come be on the show to talk to me and some of my listeners about these things. Because, like I said, once I started paying attention to my cycle, all of my symptoms got better that I kind of stopped paying attention to it because I'm not worried about birth control, right? And so I'm like, okay, I need the inspiration and the support and the guidance to come back into that space right now. So really all week I kind of felt like I was at the the brink of exhaustion and I got through it and I knew that this weekend I would just have all the space And every Saturday morning, I take Milo out on a hike. I usually wake up around 7 and immediately just take him to wear him out, you know, give him all of the love and adventure and fun. And my best friend Ashley and I were planning on meeting at Neff's at 9 a.m. Cannot believe it. Literally, it was one of those moments where I woke up, I looked at the clock, and, like, my whole reality was, like, shifted and confused and the dimension I had woken up to of it being 9.45 a.m. and that Milo was still in his crate, just not even whining at all, just waiting for me to wake up. I just could not believe it. And I called Ashley and luckily she's been my best friend since we were six. She was like, I cannot believe you must have needed the sleep. And she was finishing up the hike by herself. I felt so terrible and at the same time I felt so rested I was like wow that was great I just slept so deep until so late and I took Milo out and I made a coffee and 
I just sat back in bed again and like opened the door so that he could just walk outside and wander around and be a dog. And <sighs> so that's where I am. And, you know, my ritual, my Saturday morning ritual was thrown off this morning, right? So I started thinking about that as I knew, as I was kind of calling in the inspiration to make a show today, I felt like I had all these ideas in my head this week and then I went into such a a tired place that I don't know where those ideas are right now. (laughs) And I've been thinking about, you know, ritual and being here at my parents' house, my rituals have shifted like so much and it's just interesting how being in a different space can can shift your rituals and this is something people ask me about all the time and I always just say just allow things to shift you know we ritual is not synonymous with rigidity okay Ritual is not synonymous with rigidity and that's something oh my god that I have been trying to break away from for most of my spiritual practice and I feel like I'm actually in a really good place right now where I just let myself be. I just let myself be and what kind of got me thinking about this is um, yesterday in devotion we were kind of reflecting on the last 30 days, right? We're about to hit our first 30 days together and I had given everyone kind of an assignment to relinquish one thing and to acquire one thing a habit right i'm going to relinquish one habit i'm going to acquire a different habit for these 30 days and in the and in the beginning i a lot of them were like oh my gosh i can't do it every day for 30 days like the 30 days thing that's when i gave them the option to like make a little check mark of 30 days and just try to check mark most of the 30 days right Doing something for 30 days straight isn't like the easiest thing, but we want to give ourselves the chance to try. And so we came to the end of these 30 days and mine were very simple. No drinking or smoking for 30 days and for 30 days, my three day a week solo yoga practice. I wanted to set a very simple, easy goal for myself that felt realistic And a lot of us did that, you know, some of us set just like, okay, let's just set some realistic goals, easy, so that then like, I'm, you know, I'm feeling good about that. I'm like, okay, I wasn't perfect. I definitely wasn't perfect, but I felt good about, you know, my intentions and, and how far I, how far I got with that. And that's what I was hearing from a lot of the girls who kind of set reasonable expectations of themselves and like you know it was easy once I just set the intention and and didn't have the super high expectation then we had the other group of girls on the other side who were like I set way too high of an expectation for myself like expecting that I would meditate 30 minutes every morning for 30 days that was just like that was so unrealistic with how busy I am and and I just loved that that's what was coming up. Like the, 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 the people who set really high goals, they started to realize what was actually realistic for them. And then I, you know, we're like, okay, so the next 30 days is, is going to start soon. We're getting to the end of it. We're finishing up and we're going to reset. And everyone's like, oh, I can't wait to like reset and, and give myself something new, something that I actually need, something that is more, you know, influential, something that is more accessible to myself. And I loved that, you know, like I suggested to just bring it back to like five minutes of meditating and maybe a few rounds of breath work every morning. Like give yourself something that's so realistic that you can't, you know, you, you can't really make a lot of excuses to not do it. And that's kind of where I am at this point in my life and it's giving me so much space to just do what I feel like I need to do and feel more fulfilled and aligned throughout the day 
I've been in such an interesting flow with myself lately. And if you want to know one ritual, like one ritual, because I, like I said, I have been really off my regular routine um, since I've been at this house. But I've still felt very grounded and mellow and focused. It's not like everything is in chaos. But it's interesting being home in my parents' house and feeling what, what just feels more present for me to do. And maybe it's, you know, related to how it did feel when I lived here growing up. Um, but I've noticed that there's one thing that I just crave every single morning. And it is my ritual. And I want you to start thinking of your rituals in this way. Like you crave it. You love it. You have to do it. You can't wait. Not, I have to do it because I said I would. What are the morning rituals that you just absolutely love? And for me, it's waking up before sunset, making a latte. Yes, I am back on that caffeine drug, baby. Making a yummy latte. Coming back into my bedroom, sitting in bed, with the windows open, reading my book while the sun's rising. Like, and I, I haven't allowed that to be my morning ritual in so long because I was putting on myself, like, wake up, abhyanga, shower, prostrations, nandra practice, meditation, journaling, you know? I was kind of putting a structure on myself that intellectually I felt like was best. And I can tell you, my skin is suffering without the Abhyanga. I, I really want that <laughs> integrated again. But um, it's interesting how being here, it's, it's shifted into like, it's almost like feeling like I'm on vacation. What do I really want to do? How do I really want to start my day? And once I've given myself that space... I still have plenty of time before I need to start work. I usually, I try to give myself the space to not start working until 9 or 10 a.m. And after that, I can definitely go sit outside and, and meditate and do breath work. And, you know, sit on the couch and journal if I want to. And ask myself what other things feel important. And honestly, you guys, I just feel so much more nourished that way right now. I feel so much more nourished, and I just wanted to share that with you. You don't have to. I used to envision that I would, like, someday be someone who wakes up, like, before 6 a.m. And I like to wake up before 6 a.m., but I don't do anything. But, like, up before 6 a.m., starting their yoga practice hour-long yoga practice, long shavasana, sitting, doing a full nondro practice, then sitting in meditation after that, and then maybe even just having a little bit of time to read some sacred script after that. Like I had this dream, this vision, this hope that that was going to be my like morning rituals as I got older and more mature and more embodied in my practices and more advanced as a yogi and Y'all, that's just not me. It's just not me. But there are definitely days when I do all of those things. But I don't need to do all of that before 8 a.m. And when I get into those routines of like of like 6 a.m. nondro, then yoga, I actually feel really, really tired at the end of the day. And, you know, there's this there's this voice in my head that's asking me if that's just like, my ego, if that's just like my shadow, if like I could be doing better and I'm choosing not to and I'm like making excuses, but I have to remind myself that I'm not here to live the life of a monk and I want to remind you, my listeners, unless you've made that choice, you don't have to live your wet, your life in any sort of specific, ritualized, routine way that anyone says you should. And this is something I'm really working through with myself a lot. And like I said, right now I'm like, I'm totally so far through it and I've let go of it so much. And even as I'm sharing this with you, there's this voice coming up that's like, 
Are you sure you're not just making excuses for yourself, Jane? But I like doing my yoga practice in the afternoon. Like 3, 4 p.m., that is like my favorite time to practice. And the Ayurveda clock does not say that's when you're supposed to practice, but that is when I feel really connected to my body or when I really want to feel connected to my body. You know, most people kind of start to have a crash in the afternoon around 2 or 3 p.m. And I love, when I feel that crash, it's like, okay, babe, yoga practice time, like, go feel better. And then after that, I can like kind of finish up my work and like have that refreshed energy for the end of the day. I'm in this place where I am allowing my body to carry myself through the rituals and trusting that I will complete them because they give me comfort. They give me nourishment. And I'm just letting go of that like rigidity of you must do it this way. And it's like, it feels like this like feminine flow of letting my body move into what it needs and also still feeling rather disciplined. I like to think that I'm, I'm pretty disciplined in showing up for my practices and releasing this rigidity that I think is detrimental to your practices. I really do. And it's this line that I think we're always walking between discipline and routine and ritual. And there's one thing that I like to remind myself that routine and ritual is what helps my body trust in, in me and my mind. Okay? So if my body can really trust what I'm going to do every day, like if it trusts that I'm going to eat breakfast... If it trusts that in the afternoon I will do a yoga practice, if it trusts that I'll go to bed before 10 p.m., then the systems can kind of relax in that trust, that like symbiosis, if that's even the right way to use that word. And I like giving that to my body. So I try not to shock it too much by sleeping until 9.45 and having two lattes in a day, but you know, that's just kind of the day I'm having right now, to be honest. And as I was telling my devotion girls yesterday is that like for me, the next 30 days, I'm really getting back into routine with my physical self, you know, my dinacharya, my um, daily rituals and routines that really help nourish my body, like, like the abhyanga and nausea, and you know, I've been pretty good about my stewed apples, but boy, do I have to take another break from coffee, you guys. I'm like gripping my creamy latte right now, and I just, I know this is not what's best for me. I know it isn't, but I love it so much. Okay, so if you're listening, I want you to go ahead and take a breath in. And out. And again. And out. Breathing in one more time. And out. How does your body feel right now? How does your physical body feel right now? Breathing in. How does your energetic, emotional body feel right now? Your feelings, vibrations, sensations. How does your mind feel? Where is your mind? What's going on in your mind, your mental space? <sighs> Breathing in. Where 
is your wisdom body. Where does the wisdom body lie? Where do you feel wisdom in your body? And lastly, where do you feel bliss in your body? Where is your bliss body? Where do you feel pleasure, joy? Where do you feel that sensation of lightness in your body? Beautiful. Breathing in. Awesome. So I feel called to pull a card for you right now after you just kind of tuned into the dimensions of your being. Oh my gosh. Akilanda, the goddess of never not broken. Everything happens for my liberation. I choose to become only more love. So I totally pulled this card for somebody in the last week, but oh my gosh, I see so many people in a week that I have no idea whose card this was, but I had never pulled this card before. So if you're listening and it was you, it's very interesting that this card is coming up again. Okay, Akalanda represents the essence of the phoenix. She's the indestructible energy that embraces change. She knows that everything is conspiring to transform her into only more love and light. Akilanda is an elusive goddess from Hindu mythology. Her full name is Akilandeshvari. Ishvari in Sanskrit means female power or goddess. Akilanda means never not broken. She is the goddess of never not broken. She can never be broken because she always is. She is the embodiment of what we try to avoid, the dissolution of our ego's identity. Her power is unparalleled. She radiates the potent light and joy that's the goal of change, transformation, or pain. There is very little written about her. She is meant to be known through experience. She is an intimate interior goddess that we meet when we are in the darkest moments of grief and heartbreak. She shows us where our energy is trapped, where we have been stifled in our routines or others' expectations of us. And she whispers the liberation we will experience once we let ourselves break open and allow the new expression of ourselves to come blazing through. She reminds us that we always have the power to choose to see every event as yet another opportunity to become more light, to become more of a radiant soul we are here to be. Many of us exert tremendous energy in the effort to not break or fall apart. We resist our grief, our heartbreak, or we deny the need to change until the choice no longer feels like it's ours. Something sideswipes us in our ordinary life and shatters who we think we are and how we identify ourselves. Here's what Akilanda reminds us. Vulnerability is our greatest strength. If we are always broken, we can never break. Akilanda is the most intimate and personally powerful goddess because she meets us in those moments when we can feel the most alone, most exposed, and most afraid. She models how to thrive in the midst of change. She uses pain to joyfully and purposefully transform. She sees everything as an opportunity to release what isn't serving her. And she knows that being broken isn't a failure or something we should avoid. It's actually the whole point. We're here to let our ideas of ourselves go up in flames so that beneath the ashes, the soft core of who we truly are arises. And so that we remember that it's not the heart that ever breaks, it's the ego. The heart only ever expands. Soul voice meditation. What heartbreak can I see now as an opportunity to expand? Intention. Everything happens for my liberation. I choose to become only more love. Wow. I think there is a lot to be said about being so deep within yourself and your wounds and your healing and exploring those sides of yourself, exploring 
the sides of yourself that you don't you do not like this 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 has been coming up a lot in my teachings this week that aspect of yourself that you do not like the parts of you that are jealous or angry the the parts of you that have a quick temper the parts of you that are lazy perhaps the parts of you that lie or are afraid to tell the truth you know we want to we want to befriend those aspects of ourselves we don't want to shove them away we want to look at them what is that protecting you know what what small child inside of me is that energy protecting why don't i want to look at this aspect of myself and I think that the more that we can bring awareness to these aspects of ourselves that we don't like, the less they have really any control over us because we're aware of them. That's very simple. This is shadow work, you know? I feel like that card was really about like shadow work, like these dark, these dark aspects, these difficult things. We don't need to just fall into them. You can rise like the phoenix. Everything happens for your liberation. You know, I still, as many of you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working through so much of, you know, what I've gone through in my life. The suffering that I, that, I, that I don't feel like I needed to suffer through, you know. But what's comforting is to know that I did. That I absolutely did. <laughs> I had no other choice on this planet but to go through that suffering and experience those things because it made me the teacher and the guide and the person that I am today able to support others with so much confidence and ease and trust and knowing of, I don't care how dark you think you are. I don't care how unsavable or unhelpable or helpless or broken you think you are. I'm not here to fix you. I'm here to hold the vision that you can heal yourself. That's what I do in every single thing I teach. I'm going to give you all that I can, hold that vision for your highest being, and know that you're going to take whatever I give you and do that work on yourself. The more broken, the better. Because when we can get that deep in the soil, that growth is even more rich. Does that make sense? Because most of the people who are called to do this healing, teaching work are people like myself who have, who have said like, oh, I have been in the dark. <laughs> I have seen the darkness. And I figured out how to get out of it. I figured out how to get out of it. It wasn't easy. It was scary as fuck. But I got out of it. And now I'm very very confident in my ability to share that and support others so if you're listening and you might think that you're just you know you've you're too low to get to that light nope no i think that the people who have seen the darkest of times are the ones who get to relish in the light the most because we can appreciate it so much when life is so beautiful, when we feel so light, you know? Yesterday morning, I was telling my students, I woke up in such a dark place. It was so weird. All morning, I was like, I am not okay. But this level of not okay isn't that bad compared to the level of not okay that I used to vibrate at, right? This is what we talk about with these frequencies we want to be on. It's not about being on other people's frequencies. It's about being on a better frequency than the one you're on now. Because I'm vibrating at, at this, for me, for me, such a high frequency all the time that when I am having a low day, it's really not that low. Like, it's really not that excruciating. I let myself, you know, have that morning and then at a point 
I usually around like 9 or 10 a.m. again, I'm like, okay, let's give this day a try. Go for a walk, play with Milo, do some breath work, have a little meditation, get ready, shower, you know, allow yourself to feel better. Oh, and there's a few little stories coming to mind that I might have to share. Yeah, I'm going to write this down. So I did want to answer a question that came into my Instagram. Because once again, it feels very aligned with what I'm talking about right now. And the question says, how do you deal with reactions slash thoughts slash feelings slash actions that aren't very yogi of you? Mm. Like, isn't it funny how perfectly aligned that question is with, with what I'm saying right now? Is a second latte very yogi of me? Is sleeping in until 9.45 a.m. very yogi of me? Let's take this even further. Is drinking ice water very yogi of me? So, I'm sorry. Those are not, those are probably not the answers you thought I was going to say. What does it mean to you, babe, to be a yogi? And the person who asked this, you're in devotion. You're in my devotion program where we're exploring what it means to ourselves to be a yogi. What does it mean to you to live the lifestyle of a yogi? The things I just described, like not drinking caffeine, not drinking iced things, not sleeping past 5.45 a.m., in my mind, those are not very yogi. What else isn't very yogi in my mind? You know, flipping people off in traffic, screaming at people, you know, speaking unkindly about people, gossiping eating tons of meat every day, you know? Um, having a messy space is not very yogi of me. Eating poorly, you know? So I want you who asked that to ask yourself, what is me living the life of a yogi? What does it mean to me? What does it mean to me, Jane Lyon, to live the life of a yogi? I get to explore that for myself. And that's what I am here teaching all of you, is that you get to explore that for yourself, of what that means. Because we're in the West now. We're not following specific lineages and traditions. I even am, but I'm still a Westerner who's living her own life. Again, I'm not a monk. I always dreamed about going to Nepal and becoming a nun and and when I went to go see what that would be like, I realized that's not what I want. There's not enough fluidity in that. And someone I really look up to, Lama Sultram Alion, she's a, one of the first Western lamas, female lamas. And she actually doesn't think that women should be in monasteries because that divine feminine fluidness can't thrive in that setting. And that was so validating to me. Another thing that comes up is um, the story of Buddha and the ascetics. So, you know, I like, when I think like, oh, that wasn't very yoga, this isn't really a thought that I have, to be honest, um, because, okay, let's be real, babe, that thought feels a little bit rooted in shame. And what it makes me think of is all the times that somebody has told me how I as a Buddhist should act. Or when I hear someone say how you as a Christian should act. Or how you as a yoga teacher should act. And I don't think that that's okay. There's, there's some level of shame rooted in that question that we want to look at. That isn't very yogi of you. It's like, whose voice is that? Did someone say that to you? And so, you know, we like to, of course, look on our look upon our teachers. And I think of Buddha Shakyamuni, before he became the Buddha, he was sit hanging out with a bunch of ascetics. Um, ascetics are wandering yogis who are, um, their kind of practice, I would say, is like restriction, restrictive practices, no pleasure, no indulging the senses, right? No eating. 
no eating. The ascetics didn't eat. And so sometimes we see images of the Buddha looking very emaciated and like skeleton-like, and those are not my favorite images of him, but he was trying to do the yogi thing, you guys. Like, he was just trying to do the yogi thing and hang out with the wandering yogis and reach enlightenment and figure out how to end the suffering that he was noticing in the world around him. And there, you know, he started getting to the end there and he was like, wow, I feel like I'm dying. I mean, this is what I like to think he was thinking, you know, like, I don't know about this. I don't feel so good. I don't look so good. My brain isn't working. I don't feel more clear. Like, I don't feel enlightened. He's looking around at these guys around him. Like, I don't think this is the best idea, y'all. <laughs> And the story goes that as he started to have those thoughts, this, this girl in the village came to give him an offering, right? It's traditional to give like spiritual wandering yogis offerings to support them on their path. And she offers him this bowl of milk rice. And the other ascetics look at him like, oh, no, you don't. That's not very yogi of you. Eating? Mm-mm. And... The Buddha, I just, I love like telling the story because this is just how I see it in my head. The Buddha looked at them and he was like, I'm going to eat. I think I should eat this. And they all judged him and they were like, no, you're not a real yogi. And he took the bowl of food and he ate it. And I bet it was so good. I bet it was like the best food he's ever tasted. And he ate the bowl of rice and all of a sudden he felt all of the strength in his body. And it said, and it said that like within that day, he reached enlightenment under the Bodhi tree in Bodhgaya. And the, the story goes, that enlightenment started with a meal. So sometimes you see Buddha Shakyamuni looking very healthy and strong, holding a black bowl of milk rice. And I resonate so much with that story because, you know, I, we could say, was living a life of an ascetic. It wasn't conscious. It was a mental illness. I wasn't eating. And for me, like, this reintroduction to nourishment and food and allowing food to be a part of my spiritual awakening, when I learned that story of the Buddha, I felt so touched and seen and validated by that and that's you know my own personal connection to the story but what I want you the listener or the person who asked the question to consider is like how do you think the Buddha felt with all these wandering yogis that he really admired and respected and and he had to say I know you guys aren't going to think this is very yogi of me but I'm going to eat I don't want to die (laughs) and and now food is like a big part of you know the culture and and we do sog practice and we we have this like this small bowl of food that we've offered to the buddhas and then we bless it and then we eat it and it's like it's like a big snack time at the temple and i love it (laughs) um wow and another story comes up and the story of milarepa who is, um, I am lucky enough to be in the lineage of Milarepa, which basically means my teachers, 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 teacher, right? Leads back to Milarepa. Okay. The story of Milarepa. Milarepa was a guy in Tibet who started getting into black magic, right? He was very resentful towards his family who like took all of his riches away. His mother was like very resentful and he started learning black magic so that he could kill his family and like get back at them for what they did. And he does it. And he watches this family home burn and he's like, oh damn, what have I done? What have I done? What have I done? What have I done? And he runs away and he goes on this journey, right? And he finds this teacher, Marpa. And this is like a very big part of the story is is him saying what he's done and saying, 
can I be forgiven? Can I be forgiven? And, and Marpa keeps giving him these teachings and these jobs. And one of the stories is like, go build a temple out of those rocks over there. And then he goes and builds a temple and he says, okay, now tear it down. And then he goes and tears it down. And he says, okay, go build a, a bridge over there. Go build that temple there. And then he goes over there and he, okay. And then Marpa tells him to, to tear it down. And he's pretty much torturing him, but he's making him work through his karma. And Milarepa's devotion to his teacher is what eventually brings this beautiful awakening into his life. And Milarepa becomes one of the greatest wandering yogis known in history. And again, the shadow, the darkness of what he went through, of what he experienced within his own soul, created that rich, fertile ground for him to evolve out of and become this radical saint. Because he wanted to be, give, be forgiven. He wanted to bring good on this earth. And so, was his teacher sitting there going, you're a murderer, that's not very yogi of you, Milarepa? No, his teacher was saying, you're human. And you're going to fix this. You're human, babe. So this is how I deal with reactions, thoughts, feelings, and actions that aren't very yogi of me. I go, wow, I'm still human. I still live on earth where there is so much suffering happening and I still am experiencing suffering within myself. Darn, I haven't transcended it quite yet. And, you know, my best friend Ashley, who I totally blew off this morning, she always says, give yourself a little grace. And I love when she says that to me. It's like, thank you. Thank you. Give yourself a little grace. We all need to give ourselves a little grace. Reactions, thoughts, feelings, actions that aren't very yogi, babe. Give yourself some grace. Get to know them. And then remember, some of the greatest yogis in history have had reactions, thoughts, feelings, and actions that were not pure. They were humans. Let yourself be human on this yogic path. And the aspects of yourself that you don't think are yogi of you, I want you to look directly at them. Directly at them. Maybe even visualizing yourself sitting in front of you, looking at them, or sitting in front of a mirror, looking at those aspects of yourself, those things that you think aren't very yogi of you. And this is the shadow work that you have to go through of seeing those aspects of yourself, learning why they're there. They're likely protecting something. They're likely protecting some small part of you that just wants to be loved and seen and taken care of. And we don't want to keep those things in a dark cave where they're never seen. We want to illuminate all the shadows and see what's there because what's there is usually a wounded little kid that didn't get the love that they needed. But there might be some like guardians and protectors in front of that little kid that can be like, the bitchy girl that can be like the crazy motherfucker that can be like the compulsive smoker you know that can be the predator right what aspect of me is a predator i was talking about that in my last show what aspect of me is a misogynist what aspect of me is racist these are really really hard questions to ask ourselves you guys but this is the opposite of spiritual bypassing. This is what shadow work is. It's just looking into these parts of you that you think are broken and just seeing them and loving them and what's under them. So you must choose what feels to you to be the most aligned and enlightened. And I can tell you so much of my growth has come from just letting myself flow in my daily rituals 
not giving up on them, right? That's one thing that, no, I'm not going to just wake up every morning whenever I want to and scroll through my phone until whatever I want to and then just like make a coffee and not eat breakfast and then before I know it I have to like shower and put on a face and be working. No, that is not a conscious lifestyle. And to me, being a yogi just means living a conscious lifestyle where I'm mastering these dimensions, right? I'm wanting to master these different dimensions. So allow the subtleties of your practice to arise. And this is where we, you know, we talked about the koshas in, in devotion yesterday. And I just brought you through a little kosha meditation where we, we tune into the physical form. We tuned into the energetic body. We tuned into the mental. Then we went a little bit deeper. Where is the wisdom body? And a little bit deeper into the bliss body. Those are the levels in which we want to be viewing our perspectives, our dimensions of living, viewpoints through which we can practice and ask, is that wisdom arising? Is that bliss arising? Is that clear mind arising? If we can just do these practices that, that we choose to do, whatever it is that you choose to do that makes you a yogi, Kung Fu, Tai Chi, ecstatic dance, asana yoga, meditation, breath work, whatever it is that you do, I don't care. Are you allowing the subtleties of these practices to just arise that evolution for you? You know, I don't get on my mat every morning moving through practice, every afternoon moving through practice going, evolve, change, grow, mm, have an ecstatic awakening. No, I'm not efforting at all. I'm just showing up. And there are times, like this morning in my practice, I was just like there, I was just like doing the thing and my mind kept popping in like, am I here? Am I here? Because I'm just like allowing the effects to take place without intellectualizing it too much or trying to think too hard about it. Allow the practices that feel most aligned to your well-being, your enlightenment, your pleasure, your bliss, your dis discipline, your growth and involvement to be. Don't put these high expectations on yourself every day. Break it down into smaller bits. Okay, if you can't do an hour of yoga a day, do 10 minutes of stretching. Like, just wind it down, something smaller. If, if you wish you would read a book for 30 minutes a day, just read a page of a book before you go to sleep. Give yourself some grace, babe. And there's this piece of paper that I have sitting here next to me, this note that I took yesterday that's just like, it's funny when inanimate objects are screaming at me to be shared. It says, what helps me remember that my body is sacred? And I want you to just listen to that. If you can, close your eyes and take a breath in. What helps me remember that my body is sacred? What helps me remember that my body is sacred? Allowing myself to rest and sleep in helps me remember that. Oh my gosh, with all the rain last night, the air is so fresh. Practicing yoga outside in that fresh air helps me remember that my body is sacred. Cooking vegetables and fruits and grains and rices and nourishing myself that way, it helps me remember that my body is sacred. There's so many ways, you know? So, I don't think I have much else to share with you. I think that's all I have to say today. I hope that you have enjoyed this. I hope that there is some bit of inspiration and support for you here. And I hope that, you know, you'll remember that your rituals and this is something I'm always reminding myself, my rituals are a way that I teach my body to trust me. 
My rituals are not for my teachers. My rituals are not to prove my worth. My rituals are not to prove anything about myself to anyone. My rituals are so that my body can trust in myself to take better care of myself, so that my body can relax into that safety, into that knowing that all is well. So what does your body need every day to just have that knowing that all is well? that life is beautiful and that you're okay? What helps you remember that your body is sacred and to live in that divine feminine flow every day, that divine mastery of awakening, right? Be the rebel. Be the rebel. You can say, no, I don't think that's yogi. Well, I think it is. <laughs> okay, own it. Like, all these yogis, they, they were disruptors. I'm here to be a disruptor. I'm here to say, you know what? Tell me that you think I should be this way and I'm not going to be. I'm going to be the way that I am. And that's okay. That's what it means to be a radical saint. <sighs> My loves, let's take a breath in. Just noticing how you're feeling as we're starting to tune out. I hope that I've made sense today. I hope that this has felt nourishing and loving to you. And if you're listening, I want you to know that you're never alone and that you're always loved and that I'm always here for you. And this is something that my dear, sweet next guest said to me yesterday when I needed it. She said, even when you think that you're alone, there's so many people thinking of you. So many people that you've loved and supported that are thinking of you, that are loving you and supporting you. And wow, was that a reminder that I needed. Ah. <sighs> Have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your day, beautiful rest of your week. Remember that you always have a choice of what you want to do with your life. And that if you're not happy with where you are, you can always change it. And that if there's anything that we can always change is that we can always be more kind. We can always be more loving. We can always be more compassionate towards ourselves and others every single day leave you with that prayer and with that wish. Thank you so much for joining me today. Namaste.